This is Champagne Problems, where we come together to explore the gray areas of drinking. This is a judgment-free zone where we can all take a look at how we make decisions about our relationship with alcohol. Welcome back, everybody. We're in the studio today recording the third episode of an ongoing series we are calling our Listener Spotlight. This is where we invite listeners whom we are calling friends of the podcast onto the show to discuss their personal experiences after having listened to the variety of topics we explore here at Champagne Problems. With that said, our third loyal listener and friend of the podcast goes by the name of Jane Borden. Jane Borden is an author and culture journalist. She has a book coming out in 2023 under the Simon & Schuster umbrella titled Cults Like Us, How Doomsday Drives America. And she has a book that's already out, a humorous essay collection called I Totally Meant to Do That. I have read that. It's hysterical. Pick it up. You can read more of her work in Vanity Fair and the Washington Post, among other outlets. Jane is a talent, a humorist, and a friend. Let's go to Jane. Hello, Jane. Welcome to Champagne Problems. Hi, thanks for having me. We are excited to have you on. So Jane and I know each other from college. We were the same year, spent a good bit of time together, hanging and a little, little bit of partying. Uh, had a lot of laughs, a lot of laughs. I, uh, I like to mention that because I've considered you to be one of the funniest people I know, and it's oh. pretty hard not to laugh when hanging out with Jane. <laughs> Jane and I both lived in New York City at the same time, and I was fortunate enough to see her perform some stand-up, and that leads me to one little story I'm going to tell. Uh-oh. You're <laughs> ill-prepared for this story, and I cannot wait to see your reaction. So, here I go. There was one night, I came down, I don't remember where it was, I'm sure it was an Upright Citizens deal, and you were doing a stand-up, and it was a fairly short one, but you had this bit. And what I recall was sitting in the crowd and noticing some of your like childhood friends' parents sitting in the crowd. <laughs> And you did a bit called Dead Babies. Oh, no. Do you remember this? <laughs> no. <laughs> you don't remember that? Oh. So you did. I mean, it might have been 10 minutes where you were doing like pure shock value humor. Oh, and I my remember friend, this. And your friend's parents <laughs> were, it was excruciatingly it was, um, funny. What I had done is I had taken all of the spam emails I had gotten like sexually explicit spam emails, and I had turned them yes. into a long form poem, like rhyming couplet poem. Uh, and I did not know that my friend's parents would be in the audience. That's right. And I, I just envisioned these Southern women like, let's go see what Jane's up to. And oh, this is going to be so fun. And they're like, wow, she's funny. <laughs> <laughs> It was amazing. Anyway, uh, I love. I think about that a lot. Honestly, I don't know why, but it was just watching was, Southern women think, be really I think, uncomfortable. I just was sweating through my shirt. Uh, the whole room was uncomfortable. <laughs> love you, Jane. So happy you're on. Just for our listeners, Jane sent me. You know, Jane and I are not that much in touch. I mean, we, we you know, we've known each other forever, but I got a text from you. You know, months back, saying, "Hey." listening to your podcast. It's, it's making me think about some things, you know, it's, you know, it's making me look at a few things regarding my relationship with alcohol. And I totally appreciated that. That is the kind of stuff that we love to hear. And that's why we've brought Jane on today. So we appreciate you agreeing to participate. Oh, I'm, I'm so happy this podcast exists. I, I appreciate what y'all are doing. 
Oh, thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Well, let's start. So let's let our listeners get to know you a little bit better. Yeah. Um, I grew up in Greensboro, North Carolina, very much in the like country club society set, mm. which is a lot of socializing. Socializing is a skill I learned at a young age and um, something I, I, I pride myself. I'm proud of, of that skill. It serves me well in a lot of circumstances. Um, but there's also a lot of drinking that goes along with socializing, um, as you know, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. that's been a big part of my life since high school. I went to boarding school. Whatever you're thinking in your head right now, whatever you're imagining about boarding school is probably right. <laughs> um, spot on. Yeah, spot on. Spot on. Uh, and then I went to Carolina and then I moved straight to New York and was just living the life. Um, you know, I, I got a job straight out of the gate and I was doing that work hard, play hard thing that New Yorkers do. And then I kind of um, fell into comedy somewhat accidentally. I went to see a show at the Upright Citizens Brigade Theater and was just like, I want to do that. Um, and uh, honestly, not to, to, I know we're like in the bio phase, but that was when I uh, actually started questioning my relationship with drugs and alcohol because I had mm. these improv classes often on a Saturday or a Sunday morning and Ooh. I wanted to be at the top of my game. And, yeah. um, that's when I quit doing a lot of hard stuff that, mm -hmm. uh, I w had continued to do since college, uh, because of that. And, um, I've, I've said before that I think comedy uh, saved my life is maybe too strong of a, of a sentiment, but, um, comedy really kind of woke me up and shook me out of, um, the com it was, I, I say complacency because it was, it was like a complacency of, of substance consumption, mm. um, yeah. that I had just assumed was the way you live life or, um, I mean, you know, I had chosen it for sure. But um, then I began pursuing a creative career in earnest and um, got a job at a magazine and published a book and um, have been kind of on that path since. I'm in L.A. now. And uh, being in entertainment circles is uh, complicated when it comes to alcohol because the work and the play are one and the same. There's not really a dividing line. If you're performing in a show, if you're hanging out after a show, most people in the industry, like their friends are their coworkers and there's not a lot of peanut butter in their chocolate. Does that make sense? <laughs> <laughs> Got it. Yeah. Uh, a little bit of a monoculture and at, at any rate. And so that was uh, something, again, I would say that was like my second step kind of moving away from my consumption is that, I realized that if I was going to be out in a bar five nights a week, seeing shows or doing shows, that if I had a drink every time I was in a bar, that I would just be drinking every night. A lot of drinks. Yeah. Um, and yeah. you'll actually find in the comedy community, I, I've always felt a higher percentage of sober people than in other communities because so many people have gone too hard and, and yeah. had to stop. Um, and so I became... Uh, very, I guess, educated in sobriety just because of being in this industry. One of the things I thought of, and, and we've actually had a, a few similar discussions around creativity, 
the, how the public perception is, you know, it's just such a party scene. And, and, yeah. you know, I remember being young, looking at like, you know, who, whoever the Belushi's and the, and the, and the well-known users and partiers, but, uh, but thinking that that's just what, that's what makes you funny. Yeah. And, and part of the creative process, you know, we had uh, a musician on yeah, and, and we were just discussing that and it's like, no, no. And, and to your, you know, the way that you described it, it's like, I, I can't be creative if I'm just ingesting all this stuff. It's, it actually takes some focus. Yeah. The Edwin McCain episode, I really enjoyed uh, yeah, yeah. that mm-hmm. discussion. Creativity and consumption is really complicated for me because on a, you know, Saturday or Sunday morning, I wanted to be clear headed. But out at night after a show, I wanted to be on. Mm-hmm. And I knew that alcohol and cannabis would help me feel confident enough, help me get out of my head, because my biggest blocker in my own creativity um, has always been my confidence. I'm in my head. I doubt myself. And I, it it would happen in improv show one after another, I would have an idea standing on the back line. Oh, this would be a funny thing to do, to walk on and do in this scene. And then I would be like, no, it's not good enough. And then my teammate would walk out, say the exact same thing and get a huge laugh. <laughs> and kill mm-hmm. it, yeah. And I I knew that if I, to get out of my head, I could just have a drink or I could just smoke some weed or whatever. Sure. And it's true. And it, and it worked yeah, for a long works. time um, yeah. until it stopped working. Um, right. which is kind of where I am now, but I, I, even if it, if it wasn't me, like in an industry scene, I feel that compulsion to perform and to entertain every moment of my life that I'm not alone. And I think yeah. that's why I need to be alone so much <laughs> because it's exhausting. <laughs> um, but it goes back to what I was saying about, you know, growing up in this in this world where socializing is so important, is such an important skill, I feel obligated to whomever I'm with to make them laugh, to make them think, to be interesting and engaging. And alcohol and drugs help me do that. And I I use them as a crutch. Um, I mean, I, I sometimes I feel like I'm just, I live my life as if I'm in a job interview. (laughs) This is something I'm talking to my therapist about. Don't worry. (laughs) <laughs> uh, believe me you're in good company <laughs> wow that is so brutally honest and and valuable to hear um i swear i don't even think i've thought about it that way and i know i'm very very similar in in a different mm-hmm. space oh shit <laughs> yeah it's both so draining and also i think it you know sometimes it can be where you get your value from or your your yummies from right like your yeah. everyone kind of that's what they appreciate about you that's what you get complimented on that's what people love about you and you're like yeah but I have to work really hard to do that like that's actually not just me that's me really laying it on for you and, and I think alcohol helps too when you maybe have days where you don't feel like you can be so on or you don't feel like you can perform as well alcohol also helps you not care as much that Mm. you didn't do a great job in that interaction. It almost like Mm. relieves you of the post interaction. Should I have said that, you know, did that go well? Do they like me? Because you just feel a little bit better anyway. So it's like this like double whammy with alcohol. Yeah, Mm -hmm. totally. And I, Mm. I think with cannabis, I've cut back on that a lot, but I, I feel like in many ways that can, 
give be helpful to me as far as perspective is concerned because Mm -hmm. sometimes if I and you know I live in California so we 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 have this option out (laughs) here but um especially when I was first cutting back on alcohol that was like my in-between you know oh well I have Mm -hmm. this when I go out um but the difference is that whereas alcohol would make me feel like it's fine that things didn't go as I wanted or whatever. Cannabis would make me feel like it's fine because it doesn't matter. None of this mm-hmm. matters <laughs> right. in, a, in a healthy way. You know what I mean? Very like, a, existential. like a, yeah. oh yeah, I just realized I'm on the hamster wheel again. Step back. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Yeah. And where I am right now anyway is I, I, I call myself a um, special occasions drinker. So I'm probably consuming alcohol about once a month. Um, really? Yep. That's quite less than I, I mean. No offense, but just I just assumed. Uh, <laughs> that was a strong very, really you got there little. from Robbie. That's very little, Jane. <laughs> <laughs> Not based on who you are, just people. <laughs> God dang it! Well, <laughs> seriously. <laughs> did, Jesus, Jane. Do you think I was going to come on your? Um, Sober Curious podcast to talk about how I'm wasted every night. <laughs> I was hoping so. Uh, no. Just There's to change a lot of it up. Thinking about cutting back yeah. that maybe haven't made changes yet. You know, this yeah. Special occasions could be a Thursday night. You just you never know. It's true. I thought once a week. You said special occasions. I was like, yeah, three nights a week. <laughs> once a month. That's great though. Great, big fan. Big well, fan. you know, it, it wasn't my choice. Um, what happened is I had unexplained chronic back pain for about two and a half years, had seen a bunch of specialists. I couldn't sit upright. I couldn't sit at a 90 degree angle. So it was really weird to be in a restaurant with me because I either had my legs thrown up over the side of the armchair or I stood or I didn't go to restaurants. Um, at any rate, I finally saw this, um, manual body worker who's an osteopath which is um you know focusing on uh, holistic health so the pain is in my back but the source of it is probably somewhere else so she was like investigating my whole body um and she was like huh your liver is uh not moving like when i touch it and push on it it does not move it's totally like stiff. it's hard wow uh and she said it feels like it's grasping onto everything around it <laughs> that's a visual yeah um which is like not what you want to hear um, no. and wow. so she had me do a liver cleanse and part of that cleanse was to not have alcohol for i think it was like four weeks or something and and then also she like massaged my liver she like moved it around loosen it up or whatever uh and it was like a miracle i mean within two Holy days cow. i could sit straight wow. my back pain improved daily until like after a week it was gone completely it was a miracle wow that is insane and then holy cow after the cleanse was over i started drinking again and the back pain returned and that's when it was just clear as day i was like oh that's what's happening holy cow now do you have you tested kind of your your frequency to see what what you can handle and and your once a month is is our uh, three to four yeah three to four weeks is what i can handle because obviously like i'm at the stage where i want it i want to be able to have it as soon as it's physically yeah possible 
<laughs> but I mean, that's how I, that's how I entered this new phase. And there's been a lot of grieving for my alcohol consuming mm-hmm. life, which we can talk about. But, um, over time I'm like, oh, wow. Life is so much happier. I am so much happier. I didn't realize that the low grade grumpiness that I thought was just like part of my life or part of my personality was actually an effect of the alcohol. And it takes when I drink um, and I'm going to be doing it this weekend. I'm with friends. It's a house party in Palm Springs for my friend's birthday. I before our call, I was like packing up my portable bar to take. Um, but it'll be it's on. It's on. It's on. Um, but it'll be about ten days. Ten days yeah. of low grade grumpiness before it goes away. Wait, yeah. at, so after a weekend, you mean? Yep. Yeah. And like, I don't know. Yeah. Like, that's is that worth it? Sometimes yeah. I, I've. Right. I mean, I'm still in a place, I guess, where I feel that it is, but my kid probably doesn't feel that way. Um, yeah. mm-hmm. I'm yeah. such a happier parent. I'm such a better spouse. Um, I appreciate life more, like just just moments where I'm just like, what a joy to be alive. Like <laughs> that I didn't, yeah, I really didn't have that. and I, and I think I did when I was a kid, I, I think that, over time, you know, the effects of alcohol are, are such that it was it was slow and imperceptible. And I didn't know that was the cause of my discontent. Yeah. I think it's so interesting that you had this kind of big moment and the thing that really had you evaluate it and maybe even, you know, make some pretty dramatic changes. And but you've also mentioned that like pretty far back you started to question your relationship with alcohol. So what did it look like between the years of like starting to question it and having almost like this like physical consequence or this need intervention to change it? I think it was a consistent pattern of my body trying to tell me in subtle ways that it didn't want alcohol and me uh, trying to figure out how to negotiate with my body to be able to oh, that's a great way to put it yeah, yeah. to be able to continue yeah. and i and i love the ruby warrington episode as well i think y'all talked about it there the mental gymnastics of <laughs> yeah. finding ways to continue so um in my I, I think around the age of 30 i became allergic to wine mm. so white oh. wine was my best friend and it's not surprising to me that that's what I became allergic to. I think my body right. was telling me, huh. no, no more. We're all done with that. We're yeah. done with it. Like we're, this is a coup. <laughs> um, wow. And I, I still can't drink one. I haven't been able to drink wine yeah. since then. And I think I knew at the time that I didn't tell people this. I told people like, oh, I'm allergic to wine. But I think I knew and I may be ready to admit now Um that no, that that was like some degree of alcoholism. Mm-hmm. I pushed it too far. And I feel so lucky that I have a body that can't take it. Yeah, that was that was my next comment. There is a yeah. silver lining in this, yeah. man. Not a lot of people don't get this. Yeah. What were your like your thoughts about like what were the questions that you had about your relationship with alcohol? What were the things that you were silently thinking and not sharing with other people during that time? Um shame for sure because Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, especially again in in the culture that Robbie and I grew up in, alcohol is such a huge part of it. And if I couldn't drink successfully, I that made mm-hmm. me feel like a failure. Um, mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah, there was a lot of shame and embarrassment. Um, there was a lot of sadness. Uh, you know, I I told you in the last year and a half since I've cut back substantially on alcohol, I've been grieving been grieving quite a bit Mm -hmm. for what was a big part of my life um a big part of my personality it's an identity identity shift shift. and you know fortunately as as we've discussed there are positive identity shifts like i'm so much happier now right but Mm -hmm. i didn't i didn't want to quit i didn't want to lose my confidence crutch um i didn't want to lose the way alcohol makes me feel when it's working <laughs> uh, right yeah. the way I want it to work yeah. <laughs> I was about to say yeah. the way it's supposed to it's work but I, I think the way it's supposed to work <laughs> is what happened is that it's my body was like no yeah <laughs> yeah I'm just always interested because I think a lot of people have those internal conversations with themselves or the internal evaluation that may continue for decades before changes are ever made or, you know, maybe changes are never made. But I'm just curious kind of what some of those thoughts or questions were for you. And because I think maybe I'm making the wrong assumption about our listeners, but that we all share some version of that of like, is my drinking normal? Why can't I drink like other people when I drink like other people? you know, this is how it goes for me, like almost comparing ourselves to what we think is successful drinking or, you know, for me, it was more like, why don't I enjoy it? Like other people enjoy it because I, I decided very quickly that the risk was not worth the reward because the risk was huge. It was the same kind of reaction you're describing, which is after one event, my body was like, no more of that girlfriend. Mm. And there was no getting away from the way that my body reacted to it after that. And then like that word negotiation that you used, I think is so powerful because that's really what I tried to do for years was negotiate and figure out how to do it successfully, how to do it again, how to get my body on board with me having a drink. And meanwhile, the questions were like, why do I care so much about drinking if it doesn't work for me? What is it mean like this isn't even fair that other people get to have like consequence-free glasses of wine and I don't um so I'm just totally curious like that. if you have kind of versions of those questions yes, I'm so jealous I I I'm so jealous mm. of people who can drink without consequence yeah and 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 I, and I <laughs> yeah. know they I believe they can I, I don't believe that alcohol is bad for everyone um mm-hmm. no and so I'm very no. jealous of I mean my friends and I talk about it all the time because I'm in LA and a lot of people here don't drink. I mean, the, the sobriety movement here is strong. And, um, so my friends who do drink, you know, it's, it's, it's sort of the opposite. I feel like when we were growing up, it was like the person who didn't drink was weird. And now it's the opposite. Mm -hmm. Our friends who drink a lot are like, (laughs) well, should I be investigating my drinking? Like, do I have a problem? Mm -hmm. And most of the time, uh, you know, and, 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 and the way I respond is like, well, try not to drink and see how you feel. Um, but yeah, most of the yeah. time I, I feel like they, they do some reflection and so they investigate and they find out that it's not a problem and, and I'm jealous. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I live a life of jealousy too, Jane. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you know, one thing that stands out was the, you know, this kind of weird, weird's probably the wrong word, but this acceptance of this is who I am. Mm-hmm. 
you know, and I think that there is obviously some level of denial, but there's also just, it's actual acceptance. You know, it's like you said, you have this low grade, just kind of bad yeah. mood or whatever. And, and I can relate this obviously way back to when I was drinking, but even more recent, like throwing cannabis into my life and that kind of thing. Like I would just have this, you know, this low grade depression or, or anxiety and I would just chalk it up to Robbie's yeah. mental health. And it, it, it's not my mental health. It's being caused yeah. by something. You know, and and I think a lot of people tend to overlook some of that stuff as this is just who I am in my personality. Yeah. I the the grumpiness, the low grade depression. I mean, I got on Wellbutrin. I was seeing a therapist, and and there were some other factors in my life. I mean, I do have anxiety, sure. and sure. at the time of crisis a few years ago, there were some other things going on. But it, cutting back substantially on alcohol, like I. I barely, my therapist and I almost have nothing to talk about anymore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about you, therapist. I mean, yeah, because yeah. I'm a journalist. Yeah. I love to ask questions. <laughs> uh, but the, what you're saying about the personality thing, like I, the biggest aha for me uh, from cutting back on alcohol, and this is something I've, I've written about as like me and who I am. I thought this was such a huge part of my personality was this insatiable desire to to go to be out in the world exploring talking to people turning up the music louder dancing harder one more bar you know let's dance one more walk around the block let's just keep going uh, in, in in insatiability and that was alcohol and I know it because the inverse of that is a dissatisfaction mm -hmm. if you're not going, 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 going. One more thing, dance harder, turn up the music, one more bar, whatever it is, you're dissatisfied. And mm -hmm. I was feeling dissatisfied with my life for years. And I struggled yeah, because I couldn't figure out why. My life is so good on paper. And even when I would like to talk about it, you know, my life is great. Why am I unhappy? What's the problem? Mm -hmm. it, is it my husband? No. Is it my, is it being a parent? No. Is it my career? Like all these things I was exploring. And as soon as I quit drinking so much, that dissatisfaction disappeared. Yeah. Isn't it crazy that we don't connect the dots that the depressant we in ingest every night out of a wine glass could be the thing that is giving us this discontent? <laughs> yeah, like figure. we just don't think about it that way. We think about the thing that helps us. It's the thing that helps us decompress mm -hmm. from the life we have. That's dissatisfying. Yeah. Instead of thinking this thing that I pour on top of my life every night is causing dissatisfaction. I'm at some patriarchal. That's, that's an analogy right there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but because it takes 10 days to get out of my system apparently i mean i never went 10 days yeah. without drinking even at like the the height of my negotiation with my body i was once a week never long enough to to know or you know you go without and you huh. go well that can't be it because i still feel like shit oh it's so crazy i had a client this morning telling me you know that oh i haven't had like the googly eyes, mm. like when I walk in a room or when I walk in my house, it's not the first thing that I'm like, wine, <laughs> you know, like just like this immediate attraction to it. I haven't had that. And so I think that it's probably like a, a safe time for me to return to kind of low risk drinking. 
right. after a period of abstinence. And I'm like, so that is the result of a period of abstinence. <laughs> it's not because you're just in a magically good, right. good place and that, you know, you can reinvite alcohol that will come back when alcohol comes back. So just be really cautious of that's not because you've made some amazing new neural pathways. That's really because you haven't had um, gasoline on the brain. Right. And so it's not kind of flickering all the time, just waiting to be lit again. And that was a lot of my negotiating was, okay, I feel good enough. I should be able to go back to it. And I still do that to this day, have moments where I'm like, I feel good enough. Surely I should be able to have a couple of glasses of wine. And then I go, oh yeah, that's why I can't. Hmm. Jane, do you notice the, the trend, the, you know, call it sober curious, sober adjacent. There's lots of different terms now. Are you noticing that? I mean, I assume in California, it's probably a little more uh, prevalent. I'm always like just ahead of the trend, you guys. (laughs) Yeah. Hell yeah, you are. (laughs) You create the trend. Everyone's following me. Uh, You're so cool. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. It's big out here for sure. I mean, LA is always, people go to bed early in LA, people wake up early and hike. It's a different culture out here. Um, you know, not drive, people have to drive everywhere. Obviously Uber's changed that a little bit, but still, um, so LA's always kind of had Mm -hmm. that people drink less Mm -hmm. here, certainly as opposed to New York, just a bunch of zombies walking around. Right. Gosh. Um, but yeah, and, and again, I think a lot of it is because of the culture around cannabis out here. Like there are alternatives. Um, but you know, every, every bar has a mocktail menu and yeah. Yeah. We're, yeah, we're, we're seeing it. I might be moving to LA. (laughs) Well, I mean, you know, we're seeing it around here too. Um, we've got some you know, alcohol-free events going on and bars mm-hmm. opening up and shops in Charleston that are all alcohol-free beverage. It's, it is trending, no question. You know, another thing I think a lot about is, you know, and this probably comes from working in this field, but, you know, we often come from a, a prevention kind of a perspective. And, you know, it, it, it does make sense that once we reach kind of certain stages of life or certain ages, you know, being parents, being older, can't do what we used to do, you know, that kind of thing contributes to changing our mm-hmm. relationships with alcohol, for sure. I mean, you, you see that naturally. But what I'm hoping to see and what I'm hoping is trending is more the younger generations yeah. making the choice as opposed to just kind of naturally having mm-hmm. having to later because they can't yeah. take it anymore. Yeah, uh, absolutely. absolutely. I uh, wrote a book about Gen Z a few years ago. Um, I also do some ghostwriting mm-hmm. and this was for a, um, a trend spotting firm. So they had all this research into Gen Z and uh, they asked me to put it together into a book. And one of the things I learned cool. is that uh, Gen Z is very risk averse. And that's both a good thing and a bad thing. Um, in part, it's because they see <laughs> how screwed they are. Right. I mean, <laughs> right. You know, when I was growing up, the world was my oyster. Um so uh, I had a lot of opportunities to screw around. Um, but the flip side of that is yeah. they're drinking a lot less and doing uh, fewer drugs, mm-hmm. for sure. Like, data supports mm-hmm. it. Isn't that amazing? Interesting. Yeah. Because you often hear people that, you know, the alcohol-free trend is happening. Oh, they're just substituting other stuff. You know, and that's, you're saying, is not 
always the case or necessarily the case at all. Yeah, I would say with the exception of cannabis, I think cannabis is cannabis. on the rise. But yeah. I'm curious um, if you, you know, I know you've listened to maybe a handful of our episodes and wondering if there's anything that really stuck out to you that helped you. And also if there's anything that you're really hoping that we still address that maybe we haven't gotten to. Yeah, I'm I'm super interested in the science behind uh, how alcohol affects the body. And I know you all have touched on that a little bit here and there, but um, I, I think the more I can understand what's happening at that level, the m- more like completely grossed out yeah. <laughs> I become by it. Like, oh, that's, that's it. Oh, okay. Wow. Um, so uh, I, I'm super interested in that. Ultimately, this speaks to every episode, but just the the tack y'all are taking that it's not about it's not one or the other. Mm-hmm. It's not about quitting completely or drinking every night. Um, is mm-hmm. th- those are voices that haven't been in this space much before, um, and I think that's probably why y'all are resonating. Um, I mean, you you know better than I do why you're resonating, but um, I think people oh. are are hungry for that mm-hmm. third option. Yeah. That middle of the road conversation is so important to, I mean, me selfishly, because I didn't, when I was going through a lot of those changes, I didn't have anyone else saying the same things. And so it was was a very silent process, especially because I was in my early twenties. And still now I struggle to find people who are willing to have that conversation or who are having the same conversation. It's either, you know, it's still very much in my circle um, and in my age group, at least with the people that I talk to about it, it is still very like, I don't know why I would address it unless it was a problem. Like, I don't know why I would be thinking about cutting back. Like, it's not like I've had issues with it. Is that what you're implying type of thing? So I think it's really important to have that, like you said, the kind of more of the middle of the road conversation. And certainly I'm the same way. I think if I can understand, we don't have to make up horror stories about alcohol. Like we don't have to use scare tactics and tell people that this is going to lead to cirrhosis of the liver or, you know, hardening of the liver. Like it's going to affect your esophagus or your gut or all these different things. It's, we just have to share what already exists, what we already know, what data is already there. We really don't have to embellish it. It's just that most of the time in our normal circles, we're not exposed to that information. Like you said, it took you going to a holistic kind of healer yeah. to even address that. Yeah. And and I I thought you you can either like drink alcohol or you can't. And I didn't understand why I was someone who like who could technically drink alcohol, but just such a small amount. Like I got to the point where I could have like two drinks max. And, and I was like, why do I feel so bad if it's only two drinks? That doesn't make sense. Like, because, because I only saw two boxes. Yep. I saw people, you know, yeah. including like my friends and my family who just like have a few and there's no consequence. And I saw people who mm-hmm. couldn't have any at all. And I was like, I don't understand what's happening with me. Mm-hmm. I don't understand why I can't drink. I loved when Ruby addressed that and said, um, what did she say? Like maybe one beer is too Mm -hmm. much for me. Like as I'm trying to figure out how much is too much, like what if that was true for me? Right. Cause I'm the same way. My cap is two drinks. I never have more than two. And, and if I choose to, I 
plan, like I am going yeah. to suffer and always felt that that was really abnormal. Yeah. And it, like, but that's not what I see around Hearing me. all these, this variety, uh, everyone who comes on has a different experience. It's like, oh yeah, it's a spectrum yeah. and wherever I fit on the spectrum is where I fit. And that makes sense. And that's okay. And in fact, yeah. that's normal. That's mm-hmm. we, we've created this culture or something and or lots of different factors has created this black and white culture. Both of you are continue to say it's that this podcast is trying to yeah. expose that it is much, much, much more varied and, and, and on a spectrum than that. So thanks for bringing that up. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, knowledge is power. Like when you like so many of your guests and, and y'all say like, well, stop and investigate, well, find out, ask questions and, and answer them. And that's how I found out that this deep longing and insatiability I thought I had was actually just alcohol. <laughs> um, that's when I found out that I can somewhat effortlessly be content in life. Um, and, and, you know, I, I'm, the way I'm current, my current relationship with alcohol, like my eyes are wide open about what's happening because when you haven't had a drink in three weeks, it's poison. Your body receives it as the poison that it is. And so if I'm going to go out to dinner with my husband and enjoy a few drinks, I have to start priming my body three nights prior. I have a half an ounce of alcohol on Wednesday night of liquor. Thursday night, I have um, one ounce. Friday night, I have like one and a half drinks. And then on Saturday night, I can have like two and a half. But that makes so much sense because it's a weaning process. It's the same thing you would do to come off of it. (laughs) That is hilarious, by the way. It's absurd. Makes total sense. And so it's ridiculous. (laughs) The fact that I'm doing that i mean come on it's kind of genius one time (laughs) well it's evil genius it is it's like a little medicine (laughs) so uh one time before our we had uh, dinner plans at this um, fantastic restaurant for our 10-year anniversary okay and i forgot to prime the pump the night before (gasps) no no prime (laughs) and i woke Uh up at three in the morning to go to the bathroom realized what had happened came into my living room made a tiny drink, sat down on the couch in my pajamas in the middle of the night and like hate drank my I love it. half a cocktail. And that is a moment of awareness that you do not soon forget. Jane, what are you doing? I'm priming. I'm planning to drink by drinking. Go back to bed. The shame. The shame. Oh, the shame. That's a first Dark. for me, Jane. I haven't heard oh, that, that like um, tactic. I haven't heard that kind of technique. <laughs> like that's actually quite impressive. It's the negotiations. Listen, pull me into a terrorist situation yeah. because. <laughs> that is amazing. I, I'm going to have to share a similar thing where, so I quit nicotine coming up on two almost two years ago. I mean, 27 years of nicotine every single day. And so I quit it. And about three months ago, I was like, you know what? I think I want to do it. I think I want to go back and do it again. And uh, I was watching like a Carolina basketball game. And yeah, and did my, you know, did my same routine, like ate a Milky Way, put a big old dip in my mouth and sat back and started spitting in a bottle. It's like my favorite thing to do for 20 years. And then 
eight minutes, mm-hmm. I was yeah. deathly ill. I was mm-hmm. so sick from the nicotine that, you know, I, I mean, I spent the next hour and wow. a half laying in bed. And, 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 and then the next day I wake up and I'm like, <laughs> all right, so I have a choice. I do it smarter. Slowly do this every single night to, to yeah to get this smarter. back to where I can do it to a, where I don't get sick or I can yeah. just never do it again. Yeah, I don't do it anymore. So, but similar yeah, negotiation there went through and it's, my head. And it's not fun. Those those first couple of nights, no. those little like half ounce of alcohol doesn't feel good when I'm drinking it. Mm-mm. I mean, I, you know, no. I, I think I'm on yeah. the path to not drinking. I'm just in the phase where I can't let it go yet. Yeah. And the and then the after effects, the negotiate yeah, the post consumption negotiation because you compensate. So the seesaw. So you're I was like happy living in equilibrium and then I drink and it knocks the seesaw one mm-hmm. side. So then to get it back, maybe the mm-hmm. next night I'm a little hungover, maybe I have a little cannabis. Mm-hmm. That knocks me straight. But then the next mm-hmm. day I'm knocked the other side from the cannabis. So then I'm like have an extra coffee mm-hmm. right the day after that. And then I'm like coming down from coffee and I'm like, well, I'll have some potato chips. I mean, it's just, yeah, <laughs> it's absurd. Yeah. It's hilarious. Oh, Jane, you're too I good. I love it. So Jane, we typically close with any of our guests by asking, what are the three things that you've noticed, the three benefits that you've noticed as you've changed your relationship with alcohol? Hmm. Um, contentment. Top three mm-hmm. would be contentment or lack of discontent, which is, I guess, the same thing. Um, it's just incredible to feel good. It's the best. The At the age of 45, sobriety is the biggest high mm-hmm. I can experience. Yeah. yeah. Since it takes so long to get there, um, sometimes I don't want to give it up. And, and that's why I think I'll eventually quit drinking yeah. because sometimes I get bummed out. I'm like, oh, it's the big weekend and I'm going to drink. Oh, bummer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so contentment would be one. Uh, how much happier I am around my kid, mm-hmm. um, which is, I guess, kind of connected to the same thing, but I feel like it's its own category. Yeah. And uh, health health benefits. Yeah. No back yeah. pain. No back pain. I can exercise again. Yes. And just anything else that you would want to leave our listeners with that you haven't gotten to touch on? I would just say it's it's not as hard as you think mm. to not drink. And yeah. sometimes that means that you socialize in a different way, and that's okay. Like the way my friends and I socialize now is not going out to dinner or bars. Right. We go on hikes together and like you know, okay, I'm old. That makes sense. That's harder when you're young, but it's still possible, you know, and if that's what it takes. Um, but I, I guess my advice would be to like, don't just quit for a few days because it takes a long time. It might, it might take your body a long time to really get the alcohol out of its system. Yeah. Yeah. And see the rewards. Yeah. This has been so awesome, Jane. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. Such a pleasure to talk with y'all. This is been exactly what we're looking for. I mean, in every episode mm-hmm. we do, this is what we're looking for. Jane, oh my gosh. thank you so much Thanks for, having for being me. candid and open and authentic and sharing your story. I mean, man, we we really do appreciate it. Well, it's such a pleasure to be with y'all. I'm so into what you're doing. Thank you for doing it. Big fan.
The information and opinions shared on this podcast are solely those of the hosts and guests and are not a substitute for medical advice. If you feel like you may need professional help, here are some resources. For the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration hotline, call 1-800-662-4357 or visit smsa.gov. For listeners in the Charlotte, North Carolina community, visit dilworthcenter.org or call 704-372-6969 or visit theblanchardinstitute.com or call 704-288-1097.